Welcome to the Identity Talk for Educators Live podcast, the show for the unsung heroes of education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, and on this podcast, I highlight the unspoken and unsung heroes who are changing the education game as we know it. Every day, I come across the work of so many incredible educators who simply don't get the recognition they deserve. So on this podcast, we will provide you, the audience, with an opportunity to learn the personal stories of these incredible educators and the specific elements that shape who they are in and out of the classroom. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Wow. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of Identity Talk for Educators Live, the show for the unsung heroes of education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamenta. If this is your first time tuning in to the podcast, I welcome you and I hope that you come back for future episodes and more dope content. If you're a returning viewer and listener to the podcast, I welcome you back and I hope that tonight's episode is one that is informative insightful, and enlightening to your ears. So before we get to the main event, I want to just share a few announcements. Uh, First and foremost, we have our Stay True to Teacher and You virtual summit that's coming up on April 16th through 19th. And we have some phenomenal, phenomenal educators who are going to be joining us and pouring into us for four days. So we have here Mr. Brian Keith Harris, the ultimate preacher. We have Mr. Teach Hustle Inspire and Dr. Sean Woodley. We have the revolutionary principal in Amen Ra out in Compton, the insightful teacher, Mr. Rakim Jenkins. Um, you know, Shauna Brown, Teach for the Culture. We have so many phenomenal educators who are going to be pouring into us. And this is an event that is like no other where you're going to get professional development that you're probably not going to get in your respective school districts. So to learn more about the summit, uh, make sure you tap in and go to educate, go to identitytalkforeducators.com backslash conference to get more information about that. And then also we have our identity talk apparel line where we have new designs for all educators, whether you're a librarian, whether you're a STEAM educator, whether you're a classroom teacher, whatever your role is, we have something for you. So if you're looking for some new gear for this new spring season, make sure you tap into the Teespring store at teesprings.com backslash stores backslash the identity talk apparel shop. All right. And those are the announcements. Now, let's get to the main event. So this is going to be a special episode because, as you all know, I am a Connecticut native through and through, represent the A6O to the fullest, even though I've been around in other states and countries. (laughs) Uh, So this brother is just phenomenal. Um, I've been following him for a while, just following his work. And... He is somebody who's a trendsetter. He is somebody who is just doing so much, not just 
within the state of Connecticut, but just beyond that, uh, just through his work. Um, you know, he's a DJ, he's an activist, he's an educator. Um, he's just so many things to so many people. And I am truly humbled and honored to have him on this podcast to just share his story and what he's doing, you know, within his respective communities. Uh, so without further ado, I want to bring in uh, the good brother, Mr. Justice Lopez, a.k.a. DJ Pharaoh, a.k.a. Social Justice. So many monikers, but we're going to bring the brother on so he can share his story and get this thing going. My hey, man. Peace, peace, family. Peace, peace. What's going on, man? All is well, all is well. Um, Counting my blessings and incredibly thankful to be here in this space to break bread and, and share community and conversation with you. Um, and shout out to the upcoming conference that you got coming up. I'm really excited to be in community with that. And shout out to the dope threads and apparel that you got too. Can't wait to cop my hoodie and t-shirt. So just really super thankful, fam, to be here in community and space. And as you had mentioned, always great to break bread with a Connecticut native and talk and just fellowship. So thankful, family. Thankful, thankful. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So let's get right in because we have so much to, to break bread about. So first question I'd like to ask all my guests is to tell us a little bit about yourself and what ultimately brought you into the education field. All right. No doubt. So peace, everybody. My name is uh, Justice Lopez, a Manchester, Connecticut native. Uh, I'm a son, a brother, an uncle, uh, a chocolate chip cookie lover, uh, a DJ Funfetti cupcake lover, uh, educator, and I um, currently am residing in Philadelphia. So I bounce around in different cities, similar to uh, Brother Kwame here in, in different kind of regions and places and spaces. And when I think about this question related to education, I think about it as almost as if like, I didn't choose education, but education kind of chose me. So growing up, mm -hmm. I, wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be an accountant. I had no idea what an accountant did. Real talk, I would get the question all the time from my teachers. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I didn't know how to respond to that question. So literally, I would go on the computer and I would say, what made money and what was a good job? An accountant came up at the top. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be an accountant. And it wasn't until my junior year in high school, um, I had some truly dope transformational educators. Um, shout out to Ms. Wilgamith, currently now Ms. Bannis. Shout out to Ms. Lister, currently now Ms. Navarra, who uh, taught this class called American Studies. And I remember enrolling in this class, right? And I was apprehensive about joining it. I was unsure. I was like, hmm, should I stick in it? Should I not? And they told me to stick through with it, fam. And it was the first time where I truly felt alive in education, saw myself reflected in the curriculum discussed topics like hip-hop, the American dream, had debates and conversations that were relatable to my life that I could relate to. And I was like, this education thing is kind of dope. Like, this is where, this, this got the capacity to be something cool. Now, mind you, I have had some really uh, problematic experiences in education, as I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Right. So uh, when I had this experience, I was like, yo, education is real dope. Like, I could really see myself in this capacity and space. And that's really when I chose to become an educator. Um, you know, I've had some real dope mentors in my life as well. Shout out to my brother, Ryan Parker, which I'll talk more about 
you know, in this space who really served as a mentor, as a brother, as a colleague, and so many different spaces too. Um, and, and, and my good mentor as well, Mr. Martin, who created an organization in middle school called Young Men's Leadership Group, where I really felt like I belonged in a space, right? But that always wasn't the cases, right? Um, as I'm sure you could relate to in a lot of other teachers who come on this podcast, they're like, you know, education is really problematic in a lot of ways. It's really exploitive. Um, it could be very, very uh, Eurocentric. It could be very teacher-centric, where it's very rudimented and rigid and where students don't feel seen or heard. And I have been in those spaces. But when I had some real dope educators really pour into me, I was like, you know what? Um, I can see myself being an educator. And that's when I decided, uh, applied to be a teacher, um, became a different organizations that were really centered on first generation college students from low income backgrounds that were really about trying to provide these opportunities and then just got involved. And from there, um, my educational journey and experience has kind of just taken me on different paths. I, I kind of call myself a purposeful nomad and I kind of go wherever the calling is and I just kind of follow that flow. No, that's what's up, man. And you were mentioning former teachers and everything. And here's the crazy part that I found out in my research with you, man, because, you know, I research all my guests just to be prepared. And what's crazy is uh, your boy, Ryan, Ryan Parker, who's a friend of the show, good brother. I didn't know he was your former teacher, you know, back in the day, yeah. which is crazy. But now he's your your business partner, too. So I want you to just talk about the impact that Ryan has had on your development, not just as a human being, but as an educator and advocate for young people in general. Because, you know, Ryan is just a dope person, humble to the core, but he's someone that needs to get his flowers. So I, I want to give you an opportunity to share the impact that he's had personally in your life. No doubt, fam. And thank you for providing this platform and space to, to share that, right? Um, my brother Ryan Parker is is light, right? Just just through in and throughout. Um, everybody feels that. Everybody says that. And everybody really, really appreciates that about this brother. And growing up, uh, I had Parker in middle school. So I went to Illing Middle School. And uh, I remember walking down the hallway, young little homie, like I'm, you know, in middle school trying to figure out life. And I always have Parker in the corner of the hallway beatboxing. So Parker would always like anybody, anytime somebody would walk past his room, he'd have it open. There'd be music playing, DJ, like it was just like the vibe, right? Like all students wanted to be a part of that energy and space. And I always remember walking by and just kind of kicking, kicking something with Parker, right? Um, whether it was a freestyle or checking in and not only just in that capacity, right? I appreciate him being able to provide those environments for myself, for other students. But my, my brother and sister also um, had um, Parker and, and his wife as well as educators, right? So when we think about this, this is deeper than just a relationship between, you know, my brother Ryan Parker. It goes back into communal, right, and family uh, intergenerational change and intergenerational education, right, which is really at the crux of education. When we think about what education could look, feel, and sound like, and uh, that's, what, that's what Parker embodies. So, you know, taught for a couple of years, did a couple of things, uh, and then came back to work in Manchester, and uh, Parker and I were OD hype. We were like, yo, fam, we get the capacity to now work as colleagues. You know, that that's something that is such a, such a blessing um, to be able to have, and I just appreciate Parker being able to um, welcome that energy and space, you know, as a young teacher, 
um, as a young male, as a young male of color, you don't have too many educators that come from a similar background that you do, right? So to see Parker in that light and lens um, was transformational to me, right? Like, I was like, man, this, you know, somebody you could relate to, somebody you could kick it with, somebody who just aligned with your vibrational frequency in life, right? And I think about how important that is uh, for educators to have. So yeah, we just started kicking off open mics, started doing open mics in, in, in the middle schools and in the high schools, and they coming back and providing those spaces for young people to really just be able to be their authentic selves, right? And as we know in research and personal lived experience, young people don't always feel that way. They don't feel like education is a space for them to be able to be themselves and to come alive come and on, to create. Man. You know what I'm saying? So what, yes, why, Parker, why Parker and I became so close is because Parker, Parker was the exact opposite of that. Parker was already tapped in. He was like, nah, it's about youth. It's about voice. It's about choice. It's about centering the voices of young people. And, uh, and he was really about creating those spaces. Like he wasn't just saying it. Like, no, nah, he was... He was taking the time to really get invested in the community. And that was somebody that I really just like admired and appreciated. And I'm like, all right, fam. Yeah, let's kick this open mic. All right, word, let's do this. Let's get these young people in here. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's bring in the family. Let's bring in the yeah. moms, the pops, the uncles, the brothers, the sisters, the great grandmamas, right? And bring them into this space. And um, I just appreciate that. Parker's always been um, and will always be one of my closest uh, folks, mentors, and brothers in my life because of that. And he's always supported me um, in my moments of, of triumph and glory, but also in those moments where things were always looking so promising, optimistic, right? And uh, when, when I approached him with the idea of like, yo, fam, like uh, we want to build on this idea for, 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 for just experience and with, with business, you know, what's your thoughts? He's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Um, so now we've, you know, we've collaborated with other folks too, um, shout out to, to Matt Delaney, part of the fam. Shout out to Ashley Aquazi. Shout out to Renee. Shout out to, you know, Q. Shout out to Aaron Ortega, right? Uh, this is a fam uh, movement, right? And we, we all collectively stay together. So, you know, definitely got to give big, big shout outs to, to the brother Matt Adapt, Matt Delaney. That's another great, great brother and comrade in the spirit yeah. um, as, as well, um, as, as you are as well. But I think about, you know, when I approach people and people being able to, you know, be so willing to, to, to move and be like, yeah, let's, 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 let's really re-examine the status quo of education and, and challenge that, you know, I can hit up, I can hit up a Matt Delaney. I can hit up a Ryan Parker. And I, they, they're like, yeah, let's, let's do this. I can hit up a Kwame and be like, yeah, yeah. Like that's something that, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's something that we should further explore. Um, and that's what I'm just so appreciative about. Oh, come on, man, man. You just speaking some gems right now. But I know we talked about Mr. Ryan Parker, but let's shout out uh, Mrs. Catherine Parker, his wife, who is also no an educator, doubt. a principal, you know, at a at a school in the area. So she's doing her thing. And I know she's just as humble as a husband, as a husband. So, yeah, shout out to her as well. And the whole Just Experience fan, which is a perfect segue into your business, your company, Just Experience. And I know it's a fan movement. But I want you to talk to us about what inspired you ultimately to start Just Experience mm. and what's the overarching mission of the company? What are you all trying to accomplish with Just Experience? Yeah, I appreciate that question, fam. And yes, it's shout out to everybody who's just been a part of the movement and the fam. Um, and, and Just Experience, our, our goal and mission, right, is to entertain, educate, and empower communities 
across the world through positive experiences to enhance the human experience, right? And that's really what we strive for. Um, and, and Just Experience started off actually as um, an entertainment company, right? So when I was in college, I uh, got a leadership scholarship and that leadership scholarship, I really love music. I love DJing. And I invested that leadership scholarship into some DJ equipment. Um, people told me growing up that I should be an MC, that I should be a DJ, um, that the energy that I had, you know, would, would cultivate and create communities, but I never really acted upon it too, too much. Um, until that, that year when I got that scholarship and it started off as justice league entertainment because I loved comic books, um, and it aligned with my name, et cetera. And it was really yeah. just DJing different events on campus, creating community, um, small community events and black parties. And then right. once I, once I graduated from school, I was like, you know what, there, there's something more to this. Um, there's something more than to the, to the, just like DJing and community involvement, which is super important. And I was like, you know what? I got together with some folks and fam and I was like, let's rebrand this. And I was like, what are we trying to do with this organization, movement and company? And I was like, what name really fits what we're trying to do? And we brainstormed all these different names and we were like, you know what? This isn't something you could describe. It's something that you can only just experience. And that's where the name came from, just experience. It's wow. something that we can't, we can't describe it, but it's something that is felt. It's something that is moving. It's something that is living. It's something that is ongoing. It's an organism. It's living. It's growing. And it's something that you must come in contact with to be able to feel it, right? And that's where the name came from and the kind of genesis and origin. And the past five years, we've been collectively building it. And uh, now it's broken down into three components. Um, Just Educate is one of our first kind of multidimensional facets and aspects of it. Just Entertain and Just Empower. And in Just Educate, um, Ryan Parker, Matt Delaney, the whole fam that I had mentioned before, uh, we really strive towards revolutionizing the educational experience. And the ways in which that we do that is through professional development, workshops, working one-on-one -on -one with community organizations, summer camps, training sessions, seminars, uh, institutions of higher education, K through 12. And, and, and it's really about creating radical liberatory spaces of justice, of joy, of love, of peace, of possibility, because we know through our experiences, that is what is not celebrated and or highlight, but what is necessary to the critical development of educational spaces, K through 12 and beyond. Um, and particularly through a lens that is rooted um, in racial development and literacy and liberation that is rooted in gender equity, liberatory expression that is rooted in celebrating and highlighting marginalized experiences um, through the educational diaspora, because we know that those are spaces that just feel so isolating. And we know right. what happens when people feel isolated. They don't feel like they can succeed. They don't feel like they can grow. And when that happens, we are not fully honoring and acknowledging the humanity of folks, right? So what we strive to do at Just Experiences is that, right? So whether it's working with orientation leaders at a university and saying, what can you do to create a more inclusive orientation program to make sure that you're honoring all folks from all backgrounds and all spaces and all walks of life and, 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 and making sure that they feel welcome to your university, right? Or residential life. Um, what are you doing as a university space and system to make sure that the community and people that are living at this, at this university feel honored, feel welcomed, feel that their humanity is being acknowledged. 
Um, or, or maybe it's maybe it's high school educators or, or middle school educators where we're like, let's examine some of your teaching practices and pedagogy and how are you reflecting the needs, interests of your students and learning styles to be able to adapt to their individual needs. Um, so what can we do to, to, to add some more magic, right? And, and add to the dopeness that you have already because we know that teachers and educators, you know, they have some dopeness and magic already in them, but it, it just takes community to bring that out. And it's the same thing with, with educators and the same thing with, with students. We know that students, particularly marginalized students, right, particularly young students of color, right, they have that genius, they have that magic, but it's disproportionately represented in ways that of which don't honor and acknowledge that genius, that, that intuition, that, that beauty, right? And, and it takes a community to bring that out. And maybe, maybe some teachers may have not had that in their teacher ed program, or maybe they, they are rooted in some really problematic, right, fixed mindsets, because we do got to acknowledge that we are grown, we, we are in a really oppressive and exploitive institution. Education is the most exploitive, oppressive institution when we talk about perpetuating and normalizing ideologies and norms, yeah. right? So a lot of educators have been normalizing that, and are, they don't even have the veil lifted up off the cloak, right? They don't even... It's almost like the matrix. You're taking the red pill or the blue pill, right? And so many people are still enacting exploitive, problematic policies and practices. So what we tried to do with just experiences, we're like, you know, let's peel that veil back. Let's create some spaces for that um, and center joy and center love and center happiness and center possibility. So, you know, we collectively do that um, through education, but also through entertainment, you know, DJM, block parties, um, community events, sweet 16s, you know, uh, trans ceremonies, weddings, things like that. And really trying to provide spaces of empowerment, um, through, 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 through the community lens. Man. And this is why I had to have you on the podcast, because I know for me, like, even though I got you by a number of years, like you inspire me because when I first came into the education game, I didn't have the fortitude. I didn't have the courage to speak up and to advocate for what was right and just for our students because I felt like I had to, I had to um, compromise a part of my own humanity as a black man in order to advance my people within this ecosystem that we call education, public education, to be more specific. So. For you to just come out of the fences swinging the way you are, that's inspiring to me because I wish I can go back in time and do what you're doing right now. And, you know, now I'm doing it now through the podcast and other things. So just to kind of see you disrupting in the way that you are, it's so hip hop. And and what's crazy is I have all these questions here and you're pretty much answering the questions before I can even answer them, which is just so hip hop in itself, you know, and, and that's the kind of conversation that I've been looking forward to having. So I want to go ahead and just ask you this, because I know that you are now in the world of academia um, at a Stephen F. Austin State University. All right. Got a new role there. So I, I want to know, how are you able to leverage your duality as a Latino man in in academia, number one, but also just being DJ Pharaoh, AKA, you know, justice from around the way, you know, in Manchester, how do you leverage your duality, you know, within those 
basis because that's hard for people to do. You want to you want to be your full self and 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 come as that in all spaces, but because of the politics and academia and, and other spaces, sometimes it's difficult to do that. So I want to know from you, what's your own process of doing that? Call me fam. I appreciate your vulnerability and honesty with that. And you are the true embodiment and living testimony, right? Of, of that. You are, I, I think about what is necessary and needed in this world and in education, right? And we talk about what are effective models of, of education. And it's that, it's modeling. It's, mm-hmm. it's modeling the exact type of environments and communities and, and teaching styles that you want to see and be. And that's exactly what, what you do. So I just want to say, um, thank you for that. Thank you for that, 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 that love. But I also want to reciprocate that and just say, thank you for being that here in this space. Right. And in this conversation, I feel the energy, but also in the larger context, I, I see what you're doing, right? You're, you're building a community, you're building a platform, you're building these spaces. So that collective community to come together. So, um, I'm encouraged too. And I'm also encouraged by what you have mentioned in the, in the sense of like timeline, right? Like everybody's yeah. timeline is different, right? You know what I'm saying? And yeah. like, if you're a seasoned educator or just coming into the game, like it, it's encouraging to hear the testimony and experiences from folks because you can make that change and impact at any stage, right? Whether right. whether you're a 30 year veteran in the game, you can still do the remix of the art of education and still try to transform and create these radical liberatory spaces for people. Or hey, whether you're a first or second year teacher in the game too, you know what I'm saying? You can create those spaces and I, and I don't think they're mutually exclusive and we can always connect and build and grow. So I just want to say thank you for that fam um, and, 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 and being a testimony to that. So in, in regards to navigating the duality or the experiences of holding different hats, right? I think about what's central, what's central to me and what, what is a central core principle to me is my kind of life mission and goal is to create and embody radical liberatory spaces of justice, love, peace, and possibility for people to be able to reach their highest form of self. Like that's my life mission and goal, right? Like that, that fuels me, that guides me, that will impact me whether I'm having a conversation with a young toddler or having a conversation with a grown adult who's going back to school to become a teacher or whether I'm having yeah. a conversation with the president of a university or a parent of a student that I'm interacting with. That underlying principle guides every conversation, interaction, experience that I have. And I've just been so blessed and lucky enough to be able to hold different hats. So formally, my background's in education. I had the honor to be able to teach back at my old high school at Manchester High School and teach there. And then my spirit called me to the Bronx. And then I moved there and I taught a couple of years in the Bronx. And then my spirit moved me full-time consulting. So I did JE for a couple of years and was a consultant for institutions of higher ed and did work with just real dope organizations. And then my spirit called me to DC. And then I did on the federal level. I was advocating for low-income first-generation college students to be able to have access to education, right? And and then my spirit kind of called me to do higher ed and, and higher academia. And I was like, you know what? I, I want to navigate into this space. So currently now I have the opportunity um, to be able to be an adjunct professor um, in higher ed. And I teach intro to teaching classes. I teach intro to multicultural education classes. And I work with um, undergraduate students around activating and tapping into their greatness and their magic around becoming the best educators that they could possibly be. 
right? And that's yeah. my underlying principle. That's my underlying goal. And that's going to look, feel, and sound differently for each person. And the way in which I navigate that is not easy, Kwame. I'm going to be honest with you, fam. I felt a lot of the things yeah. that you're saying. I, I, I navigate imposter syndrome all the time, right? Sure. I, 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 I navigate deficit-based mindsets all the time with myself included right like i i i gotta i gotta recharge my batteries and and and, and instill positive affirmations and 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 have those underlying mission statements and be in community with folks like you because that feeds my soul so it's definitely not an easy thing i, I grapple with that all the time but what does sustain me is having that underlying mission and goal and then seeing where people are coming from because you, you you're right when you navigate an institution like education and any institution, right? When we when we think about collectively navigating institutions, ideologies, individual, interpersonal spaces, right? We talk mm -hmm. about the different kind of forms of oppression and how that resurfaces, but also how that is able to be navigated, but also the different forms of liberation, right? Like if we can look at the ways in which we navigate institutions and spaces and how oppressive ideologies, institutions, practices, and laws are further perpetuated and exacerbated in, in institutions like education and higher ed, we can then look at ways in which to be liberated. So it, 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 I'm not going to lie with you. I've been in meetings where like, it's been mad difficult to sure. see where people are coming from. Right. And I felt that. Um, and that's why part of the reason why just experience was created because we can have our own autonomy and transform an institution without being inside the institution, but still have that impact. But then it's really rooted on relationships, fam. Like, you know, mentors that I've always looked at, like, you know, Dr. Bettina Love, Andre Lord, like, you know, our North Stars, always talk about the importance of, of relationships, right? And, and, and a quote that I really enjoy is, when we think about revolution, right? When we think about change, when we think about transformation, when we think about these things, it's always rooted in relationships. And the revolution to me is rooted in relationships. The revolution is rooted in relationships and being able to well, cultivate that. So. The ways in which I'm able to navigate these institutions is developing relationships, right? So I got to develop a relationship with the principal. I got to develop a relationship with the president. I got to develop a, with president of organization, right? Like the president of whatever, if I'm working in a uh, uh, an organization or whatever it is, I got to develop a relationship with that person. Now, you know, past presidencies and leadership, you know, we could definitely debate on that, like whether or not people want to even be in those spaces and have relationships. Cool. So I hear that, right? Like that's deeply seated, problematic ideologies that are exploitive that are trauma induced that perpetuates trauma so i hear you like not everybody you want to create a relationship with and i honor and acknowledge where people are coming from with that but the ways in which i've been able to do so is to develop authentic relationships with those people and i may not always see eye to eye um and if i don't agree with a particular idea and or ideology and i express that right and we're rooted in relationship and community and then still on top of that i don't feel comfortable then i know that's the space i gotta leave Right. If I feel like I'm if I'm sacrificing my humanity, right, and I'm sacrificing my morality, I know that's a place I gotta leave. And that's always a line we have to draw in education. It's like, how far, how much are you willing to compromise? How much are you willing to compromise and how much are you willing to navigate? Right. Like, and, and that's a real ed question that I've had to grapple with in every experience that I've been in. Oh man, you are preaching right now, bro. But this is what I love, man. You put boundaries around your soul. And not many educators are able to do that because we're in a field where we're conditioned to not be brave. We're conditioned to not advocate for ourselves. We're conditioned to 
have to ingratiate ourselves with folks who don't align with our mission, with our principles, with our, our philosophy. And as you were sharing the different paths that you've taken in your career and education, they've all been rooted in your mission, which is all about centering joy, centering love, and centering liberation. It's all rooted within that, regardless of how different the roles are. And that's something that not everybody possesses as a skill. Mm. I just want to put that out there. Mm. So in certain ways, you're, you're setting a blueprint for a lot of young educators who want to do what you're doing, but don't feel like they're empowered to do that. Now, now getting back to uh, what you're doing now at uh, Stephen F. Austin State University, right? You're teaching these courses but I'm sure you're around tenured professors who have these fixed mindsets about teacher education. You're coming with this fresh new mindset that is maybe unconventional, out of the norm, whatever you want to call it. How do you try to get those tenured professors, those individuals within academia who may have been out of the classroom for a number of years or may have never been in the classroom to try to see your vision and how it's impacting the students that you teach through your courses. No, I appreciate you sharing that family and thank you for the for the energy and remarks. I think when I think about navigating these spaces, particularly uh, having conversation with and discussing individuals who may be a little more seasoned or hold a formal title that this is as a teacher, as an entrepreneur, as a professor, right? This is applicable. I always follow the lead of those I'm serving first and foremost. So whatever population, whatever population I'm, I'm serving, I always follow their lead, whether that's pre-service educators, whether that's teachers, whether that's students, whether that's professionals, et cetera, and always allow them to lead and provide the space and opportunity for that. And I just I'm a facilitator. I and I and I also always allow the results to speak for themselves. So the the process that of which I go about a particular idea, etc., may be different than the way in which another person looks at. But but what's our goal? Like if our goal is to create dope, inspiring, critically conscious educators, then how are we doing that? How are we listening to teachers that are doing that type of work and then letting them lead? If, if yeah. our goal is to create civically engaged students that are able to become productive members of society that are uh, 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 humanistic and, and relate to one another and are full of, of empathy and growth and joy, then how are we letting them lead and showing us what that looks like, right? And I think it's always, always going back to who are you serving and how are you allowing them to lead? Right. And we can have different philosophies and ideologies and beliefs, but we got to be aligned on a core mission. If your core mission is not to create dope, inspiring teachers and educators and allow them to be the best version of themselves, then maybe this ain't the space for you to be. Mm -hmm. then, then, right. And, or if it is, then maybe it's about reexamining the ways in which you've been socialized, conditioned and teach to look at that. Is it from a deficit-based mindset? Is it from one particular lens or ideology? Is it, is it centering and uplifting only one type of idea or one type of body of knowledge or one type of mode of expression or one type of any aspect, right? And, 
and it's, it's not easy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, you know, I always want to preface any work that I do. Um, is something that is soul work is, is times where I got to go back and re reevaluate and reanalyze and rethink about, but I always send the voices of those who I serve and always let their experiences um, and results speak for themselves. And even if the results aren't what is outlined, then I push back and I say, well, maybe we need to reanalyze and look at what the results even, even encompass. Like right. wh- what are we, what are we even trying to analyze and or establish or have as our grounding principles for what a body of knowledge or intelligence looks, feels, and sounds like we have to reconceptualize what we perceive as as education, as intelligence, as an educator, because that when we do that, that's how we recreate and reshift the paradigm of honoring people's humanity and then being able to have a world where people feel like they can be their full sense of self. But it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, constantly building with community, constantly reevaluating practices, constantly trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And you know what's real? This past year and a half, whether you're a seasoned professor, an adjunct, a teacher for 30 years, everybody's had to remix. Everybody's had to learn. And if you don't remix and learn, then you will not be able to flourish and thrive and sustain. So we we have to collectively remix in the art of hip hop and be able to serve the needs of our people. If we don't, then we will fail. We will truly fail those. And that's not what we are looking to have and or be and or embody as a community, as a society, and as a country. And it's something that I won't accept. Like, I won't accept that. And I don't stand for that. And, and you mentioned something like this past year and a half with the pandemic being what it is. We have to lead with good pedagogy. Because what I've noticed pre-COVID-19 is that a lot of educators get married to their scope and sequence. They get married to their common core frameworks. They get married to all these different prescriptive models that are provided to them. And this is one of the problems that I see with teacher education. You could attest to this probably is that they don't, they don't affirm autonomy. They don't affirm freedom, liberation in terms of thought, in terms of innovation, in terms of just giving educators the green light, the executive authority to make curricular decisions to make pedagogical decisions that are going to be beneficial and impactful to their student body because we're taught to follow this model. We're taught to follow this methodology, which may work for some populations, but not all, right? And I think, and this is why I need to thank you because when you held up Dr. Uh, Bree Picower's book and I actually had the honor of interviewing her, um, maybe a week ago and her episode is going to come out real soon. It's all about that, man. Like how whiteness shows up in our education spaces. And we've seen this, but we didn't even realize that it was this term. Mm. And now that we have the, the, um, the terminology and the, and just the, the language to call it what it is, it's easier now to, have these conversations like the ones we're having right now, right? But this is a perfect segue into project happivism, right? Because we've been talking about center and joy, 
We've been talking about centering liberation, justice. This is what hapivism is all about. So I want you to talk about the meaning behind Project Hapivism and what inspired you and once again, the good brother, Ryan Parker, to write the children's book, but also you produce a video based on this theme. So let's talk about Hapivism for a little bit. I appreciate that, family. I want to give a, a, a big shout out to um, Dr. Bipa Cower is a, is a really close friend and mentor of mine. And I'm so thankful for her spirit and work and energy around um, decentering whiteness, around creating these liberatory spaces uh, for communities of color, around shifting the paradigm and thought processes of teacher education. So um, Bree, much love to you. I appreciate you so, so much, your spirit and energy um, in this world and universe. Um, and, and it aligns with creating these liberatory spaces just like Project Happyvism. And, and, and Project Happyvism is centered on this notion and idea around self-love, sustainability, joy, and growth as a form of activism and radical resistance in a world that consistently uh, profits off self-doubt. So when, when, mm -hmm. we think about prof when we think about Project Happyvism, uh, it started back, Ryan and I were coming back from, you know, from a conference. We put on instrumental because we typically freestyle over beats, et cetera, when we process things. And uh, the homie was like, yo, I I'm listening to this instrumental. And I'm like, yo, I'm feeling really happy, fam. And he's looking at me like, yo, fam, I feel happy too listening to this. And I was like, yo, I'm feeling so happy. And it was an instrumental that spoke to my spirit, spoke to, to Parker's spirit. And we were just like, yo, I'm feeling good with this. But then we started to realize that it was something more than that. So we gave each other homework. We were like, yo, let's, let's write down what's bringing us joy because we, 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 we can oftentimes lose sight of that, the importance of, of joy, right? Especially at different seasons with exams and, and grading papers and, and the day in and day out and grind. We could lose sight of like what's really important, right? And, and centering that joy. So we gave each other homework. We started writing down some lyrics. Um, we centered this. We started to just, I literally would just go to the park and sit by a lighthouse. Um, I love lighthouses. That's actually where my, my DJ name came from. DJ Farrell is actually lighthouse in Spanish. Um, so I would sit next to lighthouses and write because I love like the embodiment of what lighthouses are and what they mean. And I would just write what, what was on my mind and what was centering joy and how I processed that. Like, so it was a form of therapy for me too. Like it was therapeutic to write down these, these aspects and ideas and constantly remind myself of that. So this project is twofold. I mean, it really is like a space to create liberatory practices, but it's also a therapeutic process for Parker and I to be able to work through these ideas and center this and constantly remind ourselves. Um, so, you know, we, we wrote that, we put it on a song because music creation and music therapy is a form of pedagogy that's rooted in hip hop pedagogy, right? That's a form of liberatory practice that the Academy isn't tapped into yet, but there's folks in the right. Academy doing that work, right? That's rooted in like hip hop therapy and, and creating these spaces of liberatory practices, et cetera. So, you know, Park and I recorded that, went into the studio, and we were like, yo, fam, let's let's make a um, let's make a music video out of this. Called up some homies, made a music video in our hometown because it's also just as important to have visual representation, right? And have those those images and experiences and see that uh in, in a video format. Made that, and then we were like, yo, fam, like, let's get this to the babies. Like, this is a message that the young people should have. And and Parker and I, our background are not in like K through five working with the little ones, but we were like, yo, let's make a children's book. Like this is, this message is so important for young people to have, right? Because 
the younger you can teach the babies and the little ones really important aspects on identity development, on positive self-growth, on loving yourself, on celebrating aspects of um, who you are, particularly for black and brown communities, right? Because that's oftentimes uh, disproportionately represented in, in really problematic ways in media and in society. We wanted to flip that script and narrative and be like, nah, like we want to create a space of positive representation and joy and have that video be in book and project center this, right? Because that's not what we see all the time on media, on social media, on Instagram, all over the news and in society. So we, um, we created that, made this children's book and shout out to um, Dr. Melissa Sue John, who's a part of the project, um, mm -hmm. a part of Lauren Simone Publishing House. She's an amazing activist and scholar and mother who's created and creating, whose who's, who's root mission is rooted in creating diverse children's literature for young people, right? And just a quick, just to quickly reflect on that, there's less than 13% of, there's less than 13% of the literature that is diverse in this country that really relates to um, the experiences of, of communities of color and black and brown folks in this country. Even furthermore, less than that is actually written by males of color in this country. And even furthermore, if you want to take it another step, black and Latinx men in this country make up less than 1% of the teaching workforce, right? So when we think about representation and what this project is really geared towards, like it's 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 not only just like a fun project that Parker and I are really like creating, but we're really trying to change the narrative and change like these statistics when it comes to representation, when it comes to education, when it comes to people seeing themselves fully heard, acknowledged, and honored in a particular space. This project is really rooted in that, and we're really trying to flip the script on all of these all of these statistics and experiences, right? And, and it's, it's not about the numbers, but it's about, it's about creating communities that are flourishing and, and people seeing that and being a part of that. Um, and that's why we call it Project Happy Vision because it's a project. It's not just a book. It's not just a music video. It's not just a song. This is an ongoing project that's going to have other parts to it. That's going to have additional aspects that we got to call upon people like you and your in innovation and ingenuity and genius. So you're going to be a part of this project too, fam. We're going we gonna to tap into you because you, you, you embody that. You are the embodiment of Project Happyvism, and we need Sorry. to highlight folks that, that are doing that work, right? So this is, this is an organism. This is a living thing. This isn't just a book. This isn't just a hashtag. This isn't just some cool slogan like, oh, happy vism. I'm feeling happy because it's not about that. Like happy vism is really about acknowledging the real trauma uh, and harm that is experienced in communities. Because if you don't, then that resurfaces in really problematic ways. Right. Um, but it's acknowledging and saying like, yo, sometimes I can feel sad. Sometimes I can feel mad. Right. And, and it's, it's okay to feel that. But it's also just as okay to feel joy, liberatory love and self-growth and possibility and joy because that is what's going to sustain us. It's just as okay to have that too. And, and in the world where we try to navigate the dualities of this, um, yes. it, 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 it is difficult. It's very difficult to navigate the duality of, of, um, of growing up here, of being, of being in America, right? And and, and I think about this, this project is really about, about that. Um, so it's ongoing, it's growing, it's evolving, but it's, it's really about 
self-love, creating communities of liberatory spaces for black and brown folks, for young kids, for little babies to love themselves, to love your curly hair, to love your Boricua oh, curls, right? You know, oh, like lo love, love your hair, love yourself. Like, you know, like th th there's not enough representation with that. That's why I love books like Hair Love, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. But, you know, like I love my curly hair. Like I, I love my oh, hair like this. And like, I wanted to create a book and a line that says, I love my hair curly. I wear it all out. I put a handful of couture in my hair. I get really nice. But like, I wanted to write that because it's like, I, I constantly go into spaces where people will make a comment on my hair. And it's like, so many people get that comment, right? They're just like, oh, your hair is this, your hair is that. And it's associated with negative aspects. It's, asso it's, not, it's not associated with like, your hair is beautiful. Your hair is this, your hair is that. And I wanted to highlight and acknowledge that because so many folks are like, like, nah, your hair is dope. Like, I love your dress, Kwame. That dress is popping, fam. Like, your hair you represents it's so much. There's a story in your hair. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's, yeah. there's a story. There's a story in that. There's a rich, deeply seated ancestral wisdom and knowledge that, that is not understood and is not discussed and talked about in books. And that's so important for little kids to see that and be like, yes, like, I love my curly hair. I love my dreadlocks. I love myself for who I am. And I love to see positive characters that are that are talking about that. So that's what Project Happy Vism is really rooted in. Yeah. And it seems so simple, but Project Happy Vism is a paradigm shift, essentially. It's a foundational element that we need to have in order to maintain momentum within this revolutionary movement. Because as you mentioned, there are times where you feel sad. There are times where you may cry. That's part of being a revolutionary. It's not supposed to be easy. There's going to be times of hardship. There's going to be trials and tribulations. But it's all about your response to all that. You know what I mean? And, and that's why I love the book is, is because it reinforces this idea of perseverance. It reinforces the idea of what our ancestors went through. Think about the enslavement period. People were singing spirituals as a way to bring joy to their spirit, as a way to get their minds out of the challenges that they were having on the plantation. No doubt. That's happivism, y'all. That's that happivism. That's real. You know That's real. So this concept is more than just, as you mentioned, a music video and a book. This is real life. And in order for us to, um, to achieve liberation, habitism has to be at the very center of that. I appreciate you bringing that up, Carmen. I want to build on what you had mentioned in regards oh. to habitism is tapping into ancestral wisdom and knowledge that has come yes. before us, but also we're becoming ancestors for others. Right. So you talked about, uh, the, the, the spirituals, right. That, that, that folks were sing on the plantation. I think about, I think about how that correlates to like the Island of Puerto Rico and Bomba y Plena mm. and how that was a form of liberatory practice in Puerto Rico oh, and man. how, and how, and how like my great, great grandmother would participate in that and, and, and sing and dance and be in these spaces of liberatory and joy, but still Still experiencing so much external forces that were against her and her her being and existence right like so i think about i think about how communities of color have been so innovative and so uh in the, in the elements of hip-hop you know remix so many different frameworks of, of maintaining that sense of of joy through 
despite the most dire situations and circumstances, and this is what this project has tapping into, is tapping into that ancestral generational wisdom and, and knowledge from people who've come before us. Yes. And and let's talk about hip hop for a second. I want to talk about specifically DJ because you are a DJ, right? And as a certified hip hop head, um, I've seen the reemergence, if you will, of the element of DJing. Because when we think about hip hop, we always talk about rapping, right? Mm-hmm. And people tend to interchange hip hop with the rapping element. Forgetting the fact that rap is an element within the hip hop culture, right? Because we have graffiti, we we have DJing, of course, right? We have breaking, right? All these other elements that tend to be overlooked. And when you think about this pandemic, right? We've seen an emergence of DJing, especially with social media, right? And I'm gonna use DNS as an example because Perfect. you know, as someone that's approaching my 40s. I grew up on D-Nice. I grew up on Boogie Down Productions. I grew up on KRS-One, <laughs> Miss Melody, and that whole movement. So I've known D-Nice for, you know, damn near 30 years of my life. And you got people in 2021 now figuring out who D-Nice is. But it's like, yo, I knew D-Nice from D-Nice to the rescue. My name is D-Nice. Like, so I, I guess for me, I feel like with DJing, it's like one of those forgotten elements of hip hop culture. So I want to know from you as a DJ, as mm. someone who is a student of the culture, right? What are your thoughts about the emergence and also the increased intent, the increased attention of DJs during this pandemic? And do you also believe that DJ is an overlooked element in our hip hop culture? So mm. I want to get your thoughts on that. Yo, brother, I appreciate you sharing that and asking that question and also um, just your deep-seated connection and authenticity, right, to to just coming into this space fully as you are, which I just, I love to see and celebrate, fam, so I love to see it. So thank you for this question, but I think about, right, you bring up some really good points around the elements of hip-hop being a culture, right? So that's one key aspect to um, acknowledge and celebrate. When we talk about hip-hop, hip-hop education, hip-hop pedagogy, it is it is a it is a frame of reference point of looking at a holistic culture and not just one of the four to five elements because some people include like knowledge as an element too that you know um, that many people refer to that that Kwame had just mentioned, but specifically in that context, right? I, I look at teaching pedagogy through the lens of hip hop, right? Like you, all of us are DJs as teachers and educators. We're we're looking at our crowd, which are the students which are the teachers, whichever our audience is, we're looking at the crowd and we have to read them. If we don't read them, then then we are not doing our role that we're supposed to be doing as a teacher, as an educator, as a community organizer. As you pick these different crates, as you pick the different songs, that's your different lessons, that's your different activities, that's your different ways of operating. And, And then when you play that, uh, that's the ways in which people respond to your to your lessons or your activities or your ideas. And then the ways in which you mix in between or remix is essential to your sustainability as an educator. So when I look at myself as a DJ, it's rooted in that culture that's deeply embedded in a larger aspect of hip hop, 
which all of us should be embodying as educators, right? We should all be responding to the needs of our students and audience. Mm. We should all be remixing. We should all be um, listening to them. We should all be creating an environment where people are, are, are spirits and minds are moved. And that's what a DJ does. So as a teacher, I'm a DJ, but it's interchangeable. And I've always gravitated towards that um, deeply in my spirit because it's something that came way before me. I mean, similar to you, uh, Kwame, I grew up in hip hop culture. My pops was a Brooklyn B-boy back in the 70s and 80s. Wow. And it's, 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 it's actually how I got my name. My father's government name is um, Jose William Lopez. But uh, mm -hmm. when, when he was growing up, um, got caught up in school and stuff like that and different things. And transitioned and really became a part of a group called the five percenters that really embodied him and, and made him feel whole and, and be a part of a community, et cetera. And, uh, his, his new name in the hip hop scene was justice, divine Allah, justice of the wow. most high. That, that's my, that's my father's hip hop name. And that's like, it's rooted in something that's embedded in me. And that's how I got my name. My name is justice named after my father, who was a five percenter, which is a, a deeply embedded community and culture that yes. has deeply impacted and shifted, you know, hip hop from, you know, I came to God, to, to, to Lauren Hill, to, to Busta Rhymes. To, I mean, Big Daddy oh, Kane. I mean, pivotal on. elements of, of hip-hop culture, right, are, are embedded um, in this larger context, which I am, um, you know, a descendant of. That's my pops, right? So it's something that lives in through me and, and, and that I grow through um, that, that, I, that I think about throughout my experiences. But then it just became a natural part of my being. Like, I didn't even know this was a thing that I could be uh you know a hip-hop educator or a dj and things like that so that just continued to go and then when i think about what that has meant in the context of, of djing during the pandemic i mean yo shout out to dj d nice and creating the most liberatory spaces during the qu club quarantine like that was a go-to that people would would would, would pop on their Instagram live, stream that junk on the computer. You would dance, you would chat with homies. I mean, yo, th this homie is just revolutionary with that. Like he, he, he single-handedly created a space of like hope during the most like defeating time for so many people's experiences and they would just come together and music and then you had like all these superstars and celebrities popping in <laughs> like on, I saw, crazy, I saw, right? michelle obama's pulling up all these people just Lotus, like everybody. <laughs> and like it's like yo, i'm partying with the first lady right now <laughs> like i never would have imagined that ever in my life so shout out to d nice um and shout out to my homie andrew dj overtime in new york he uh, has been really some, doing some really dope stuff that I that I really admire and that has allowed me to just tap into the scene a little bit more with uh with DJing as as an educator but also as a profession as a love um and being in that space and and in this time we have access to so much more now right like people are are DJing and creating these spaces online and providing these environments and and that's what I'm looking to do too so I'm looking I, I always try to create and, 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 and build with communities in those spaces, whether it is, you know, a, a new remixed edition of a birthday online on a Zoom and I'm DJing or whether it's a graduation celebration or whether it's a party, et cetera. The element and art of DJing uh, to, to originally kind of loop it back into what your original question was of a, is it forgotten, you know, the elements, et cetera. And what is that played in this new season? Um, I think about how critically important it is um, that all the elements work in conjunction with each other, that um, they are all a part of an ecosystem, that the MC can't function without the DJ and the oh. DJ can't function without the MC. 
that the that the break dancer can't function without the DJ playing the beat, but the DJ would have nobody to DJ for if the break dancer wasn't break dancing on cardboard, right? So um, I think about that, and I think about how they're all a part of an ecosystem of hip hop, and how they're all necessary and critically important in order to sustain the culture of hip hop moving forward, right? And I think about how everybody could be a DJ in their own regard and in their own way, because we are remixing constantly we are picking the musical tracks and we are responding to our audience we are thinking of our feet and toes and remixing things we are developing playlists right we're outlining different things and curating different environments for folks so we're all djs in our own right and when we embrace that and, and fully see that right um all the elements are fully acknowledged and celebrated right and i want to shout out some folks i want to shout out to ninth wonder one of my favorite producers djs like Dr. Sean Willie, who pretty much is about that as well, Teach Hustle Inspire. I feel like the DJs turn out to be some of the best educators out there because DJing, as you mentioned at the very core, is improvisational. The art in itself is improvisational. And as you talk about curation, think about us in the classroom. Mm. When a lesson's going south, we have to gauge that. We have to gauge the mood of our students and make that audible mid-lesson and say, you know what, this ain't working. Let's let's scratch this lesson. Let's go to plan B. Mm, and you no. know, and 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 you know, just do this assignment or this task. That's DJing in the classroom. You, you feel what I'm saying? Yes. So I feel like being a DJ helps in terms of you being great at pedagogy because good teaching you know, in essence, is about you having a feel for your students. And if you translate it to DJing, having a feel for a crowd, right? Because, you know, Rakim says, you know, you got to move the crowd, right? You know, Dr. Sean Woolley said, move the class. It's the same concept, even though the context is different. So I always got love for DJs, man. I always got love for DJs. Yo, fam, you know I appreciate man? that. I appreciate that fully. And I want to give a quick shout out to uh, DJ Grandmaster Kaz, a DJ who's played a really pivotal, influential Come on um, now. Role, role in my perception as a DJ. Because what I appreciate about Grandmaster Kaz oh, is gee. that he, he is, a, is a historian, which is another aspect of the DJ, right? Like when you're, when you're a DJ, you're pulling out carts and crates and different songs. What I appreciate so much about uh, Grandmaster Kaz is that he's been able to just be so authentic and true to himself, but he preserves the history of, of DJs. Um, and shout out to DJ Beverly Bonds too, some females in the, in the scene doing some work too. Cause yeah. and, you know, yeah, I, I want to make sure that, you know, you know what I'm saying? I want to make sure that the females get their, you know, their, their roses too. Cause we could always, on, you know, man. it could be a very male dominated space when we talk about hip hop. So I do want to uplift, you know, the females that are critical Roxanne, Roxanne, um, you know, that are critical. She's not a you know MC, but I'm saying I want to I want to honor and uplift those uh, who uh, are females in spaces that are you know so pivotal to the to the development and growth of hip hop culture, right? And DJ um, Spinderella, Saw and Pepper. Come on. Yes, come on. We like keep you going. Know, we can keep going. We, we, we go on and on, but I, I do want to uplift those narratives and stories and experiences and the importance of females in the context of hip hop because it isn't talked about enough. Um but I just really, really admire and appreciate Grandmaster Cass for his ability to be a historian and a DJ. And I mean, yeah. I, I've been at his events and heard him talk and talk with him and just 
to, to have conversation with him and hear how he mixes a song from here and there and to hear how people, you know, uh, mix in from different forms of uh, taking, you know, uh, electricity from a, from a, from a pole in the Bronx and kind of sparking, <laughs> like sparking electricity to be able to DJ. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable to, to, to hear about that. Right. And the DJ is a historian as we all are preserving those narratives and histories and, 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 and experiences of those who come before us. Yes. And I want to shout out, um, Akua Naru, who yeah. Ryan, Ryan put me on to Akua oh. Naru. Dope like homie. when he came on, I was like, yo, I need to listen to her. And I actually listened to all of her music. And I was like, yo, she is like a yo. beast. She actually has like a, like a Bahamadia kind of filter, like the deep voice, but like that intricate flow. Um, yeah. Shout out to Bahamadia, you know, Philly in the, in the building, of course. <laughs> so like, there's yeah. so many, there's so many, you know, dope sisters that we can name, and that will be a whole new episode in itself. And we do, and unfortunately, we don't have, you know, all the time in the world to talk about that. But man, uh, women, man, just, just women are doing it right now. Uh, yes. So yes. we definitely have to center them and give them their flowers when we have the opportunities to do so, for sure. Yes, brother. Yes, yes. Yes, but um, I have one more question before we get to lightning round. So let's talk about hip hop pedagogy. So we already know about, you know, the good brother, Dr. Chris Emden, uh, Mr. Hip Hop Head himself. Shout out to him. Um, it's become a bigger, a bigger concept in our education circle. And you, you see a lot more people in academia talking about it, which is dope. Um, even um, good brother, uh, Mr. J. Rawls, Dr. Jason Rawls. No you know, doubt, like, no doubt. Like there's so many that we can name. But I want to know what your thoughts are about the evolution of hip hop pedagogy in K-12 education from where it started to where it is yes. now. Because as you know, hip hop was never a culture that was accepted within the dominant culture. You know, I mean, there was a time where, you know, you had, you know, the dominant culture saying that, man, hip hop should not be something that is in our schools. Hip hop is the reason why we have so many fights breaking out, so much violence, so much gang activity. And now, fast forward to now, you got white folks trying to rap. <laughs> yeah. You got vocabulary. Yeah. You got Dr. Chris Emden. You got Mr. Justin Lopez in academia. You got Dr. Sean Woodley. You know, you got all these different people talking about it. So I want to know your thoughts on this, brother. Yeah, no doubt, fam. And I appreciate you bringing up this 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 uh, this point in regards to academia. Um, and there's, you know, I, I want to pay homage to those who've come before because hip hop yeah. ed and folks doing this 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 has come way before me, and it's going to come way after me. Folks have been doing this since the genesis and inception of public education and beyond, right? So, you know, do give credit to where credit is due um, from from our north stars like Dr. Chris Emden, Dr. Bettina Love, Pete Andy Hicks, Harper, uh, Dr. Tony oh Keith Jr., Martha Diaz, Dr. Lauren Kelly, Aisha Upchurch. I mean, Ian Levy, Edmund Adjapong. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on with folks oh, who are um, doing OG, this work. And for, can't forget the OG, Dr. Glory Latson Billings. Can't of forget course. the OG. Uh, of on, course, fam. So, like, you know, you know, th these folks have been doing this work um, much, much longer than 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 I have in the scene. And I just, I always build upon, you know, the the, the soldiers of giants that have come before us. So I always give thanks and pay homage 
to those who are doing this work. But I think about, you know, what this has meant in the larger context of, uh, of hip hop ed is that one, um, is being acknowledged as a part of the Academy, which I think is incredibly, incredibly critically important in regards to that formal, um, recognition, but also with that formal recognition comes, um, the diluted aspect of it or the commodification and or as you have mentioned just the ways in which people are um you know interacting and, and, and being in spaces and places so i think it's super important to to honor and acknowledge the history of of where this um cultural art form has come from and, and really center that but also use it as a way and a catalyst to to transform young people's lives because that's that that is what it's doing and that's what hip-hop ed is really rooted in it's about acknowledging that history that wisdom and creating these liberatory spaces for young people to fully express themselves and the modalities and ways in which that are so true and authentic to themselves. And I'm so thankful for folks in the academy that have recognized that and, and that are doing that work um, and then bringing that to folks like us to be able to, to move forward with. But I mean, I think about how necessary and critically that is because if I, if I, if I think back into my educational experience about the things that I've been involved in, it's always about, it's always about creating spaces that I wish I had. It's always been about either like creating or being in a space that I wish I had. And it's like, when, when I think about hip hop ed, I've been so so lucky to, to work with Dr. Ian Levy, for example, right? And create a, a hip hop centered uh, recording studio for young people, right? And it's just like, yo, like the importance of like hip hop based therapy and being able to create a space where young people can write and reflect and then process their thoughts over a mixtape. It's like, yeah, that's what I wish I had growing up too. Like that, that, that's something that I wish I had, right? Like the process of being able to, um, train a young person in the very real technicalities and entrepreneurial skills of being a DJ and then allowing them to be able to utilize those skills and very real experiences, whether it isn't an an event or a community celebration, right? That's something that I wish I had too. Like I would have loved to learn that as a young person, like growing up, um, the, the culture and, and the ways in which of, of hip hop constantly remixing and reinventing and, and artistic design and, and, and expression. Like that's something I wish I had too, like growing up, right. Um, being able to express my body of knowledge, right. My understanding of the world. And, and it's, and it goes beyond just like, cause, cause sometimes people conflate this idea notion of like hip hop ed being like, yeah, let me write a rhyme or a poem. Right, that is right. one aspect of it, right? Which, which, which is an important element. Don't get me wrong; I never want to downplay that because poetry and writing is a liberatory practice. But hip hop ed transcends be- beyond that, right? It's yes. about folks like Asia Upchurch who are doing transformational work at Harvard's Hip Hop Lab about embracing dancing and hip hop as a form of liberatory practice and pedagogy, and how our body is a form of of movement and liberatory space, and that people can be able to move, right? And and I'm so thankful for, for that being acknowledged and, 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 and that type of work being in that space, right? It's, it's, about, it's about artistic design and expression. Like if we think about graffiti and, and street art being a critical element of hip hop and how it's a culture and a form of pedagogy, like yep. hip hop culture is the globalistic culture that influences every aspect of the world. I mean, I was just oh, reflecting man. on this not too long ago. Like when, when Obama was, a, was in presidency, <laughs> I remember that the Instagram would constantly be referencing different aspects of like hip hop culture, like DJ Khaled, like another one, like major keys, like here are the major keys to tomorrow. And I'm like, yo, hip hop's in the White House. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
hip hop has such a globalistic influence that like world leaders are utilizing this as their frame of reference and point of view. But hip hop is always about remixing, right? Like that was that was a that was in the past that when people were utilizing those those frame of thoughts and being. And now, what does it look like to remix it and do that work? So hip hop pedagogy is rooted in all of that, right? And it's about it's about acknowledging that ancestral wisdom and allowing folks to be their true authentic self and express their bodies of knowledge and work and being in ways that are true to them. Um, and I think that's what really the academy and education is really tapping into. But yeah, hip hop was in the building in the White House. I mean, Obama brought De La Soul to the White House. <laughs> yeah. Obama brought Bill Bid the vote to the White House. He Yo. brought the roots to the White House. So many folks. And it's like, Think about all the other administrations we've had in the history of the United States of America, you know, as far as the White House is concerned, right? The presidency. I can't think of another time where you would see those particular folks in the White House, like people that we grew up on. Like, come on. Yeah. Limo and Miranda, Hamilton. Like, it's it's just... It's Come about on. the art of remixing. It's about the art of remixing and how are we centering that, right? And, and and being able to really tap into folks who are doing this work and who've been doing the work, right? Like yeah. people have been doing this for a long time. And I always want to make sure that that's something that is acknowledged and understood when we have these conversations um, around this, this work that we're doing to create spaces for young people and educators and teachers that are liberatory. Um, I just give thanks for those who've come before and I'm just honored to help continue to build moving forward. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and you are just doing exceptional work, my brother. Exceptional work. All right, man. Let's get to the lightning round. Have a few quick hitters uh, before we wrap things up. So uh, my first question is, during this whole quarantine, do you have a favorite snack? Guilty pleasure you've been, you know, munching on? Yo, fam, I've I've perfected my um banana bread recipe. So banana bread Ooh. with some chocolate chips. Oh yes, yes, that has been the quarantine chronicles for the snacks, no doubt. Huh. All right, I like that, man. I like that. And uh, next question I have is: If you can invite three influential figures to dinner, dead or alive, who would those figures be? Fam, that's a great question. I, I love, uh, that's, a, that's a hard one for me to answer, but I think um, I love hip hop. I love uh, J. Cole. So I would love to sit down with J. Cole and have a conversation. Come on. I would love to sit down with K. Dot, Kendrick Lamar, and, and have a conversation. And I love to sit down with Big Pun uh, and have a conversation, uh, particularly around his influence and his ability to uplift the Bronx so heavily and be the first Latin hip hop Grammy nominated artist. Um, and to just talk about what that was like. Um, I'm a big fan of him and his son, Chris Rivers, actually too, who's Chris a hip hop artist in the Bronx. Oh, yeah, Chris, yeah, he's, 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 yo, the truth. So, the you know, yeah, he, he's so ill with it, but I'd love to, to have a conversation with, with them. But, but if I could speak on big pun for a second, I mean, uh, Capital Punishment is a hip hop classic in itself. You know what I mean? And I look at Big Pun. I think Big Pun might be the Latino equivalent to Biggie. Yeah. 
That's a you fact, bro. That's a fact, you feel, man. You feel what I'm saying with that? With yeah, that energy? yeah. Like, like, they had such a short window of time where they had such a huge influence in the culture. And we think about their lyrical dexterity and their ability to ride the flow. Like, pun, man. Like, <laughs> right. This new generation. Yeah, it's just like. The, the word scheme, the internal yeah. messaging, the, the, the ability to have the lyrical flow and, 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 and dexterity. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's art and it's just, it's art and it's such a beautiful, exp- it's art at its magnitude, right? When we look at the ways in which that was able to be um, expressed, I mean, uh, fully, wholeheartedly, fully, wholeheartedly. Yeah, and he's someone that doesn't get enough flowers, man, for what he did for the culture. You know, in the short time he was on this earth, you know, God rest his soul. You know what I mean? Um, just just a phenomenal um, entertainer, you know. And who knows what his career would have been like had he lived a lot longer. Mm. Man, he'd be up there with all. I mean, he's a great already, but man, just imagine. Just imagine. Just like the Agreed. Baby, just imagine. Agreed. Agreed. Uh- I'm I'm thankful for the time that we did have, and I always I love the the Tupac quote. Um, I I never die because I live forever through my words and my music, right? And I think about I think about that that pivotal quote that I centralize with the work that I do, but also for the ancestors who are no longer here, how we are able to still participate and and, and be in community with them through their music and their words. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, name one book that every educator should read. Other than oh. happy <laughs> no doubt, fam, no doubt. So I mean, I got I got a bunch, but um, you know, doc, Dr. Bettina Love, we want to do more to survive. This is a critical text that yep. all educators should be should be ed- uh, to be tapped into. Uh, the Home Girl, uh, reading, writing, and racism, Dr. Bree Pakawa. I mean, this is a necessary, pivotal text for folks to 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 be reading. Come yes, on, yes, fam. On, I mean, these are critical critical books to read. Uh, another one that I'm uh, an African American Latinx history of the United States by uh, Paul Ortiz. This right here is given a phenomenal intersectional history of education through the Afro Latin diaspora that folks should be most certainly tapping into. Um, this book right here, uh, this book is anti-racist um, by by Tiffany, uh, Tiffany Jewel. Is, Jewel yeah, yep. yo, this book right here is such a great resource for like um, educators or pre-service teachers. She really breaks down what 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 does it mean to look, feel, and sound like to be an anti-racist educator and you're teaching pedagogy and practice. And um, I, I just think it's such a, a, a beautiful, beautiful collection. So those are just a couple that I've been kind of tapping into um, that I really highly recommend for educators, but not even just educators, like humans in this country and world to all be reading and tapping into to be a, a more well-informed uh, uh, citizen in this world. All right. And those are all powerful books. Um, last question. Well, second to last question. Uh, what's the one thing that brings you the most joy? Mm. So besides baking chocolate chip cookies, because that smell and, and making them is like, I, I love it. Um, I love taking walks in community with fam. Like I love going on walks with my fam and, and those who I I'm so blessed to be a part of in their lives. It's something that the synaptic connection to being a part of like nature and creativity and oxygen levels and flows, there's an entire science behind it. But actually taking that aspect and going on walks, something I really enjoy. 
But also, I just enjoy being in community. There's something about, even on Zoom, right? Because everything, everything is energy. If we look at, like, uh, if we break down the scientific, like, laws of energy, energy is yeah. neither created nor destroyed. It is just transferred. Like, that's a, that's, that's a law of energy. A right? law of so, conservation. Yep. Exactly, right? So if we think yeah. about that, right? So if we think about that in the context of, like, joy, right? what we say to each other, the vibrational frequency, that's a real thing. Like that's a scientific thing of like, when, when you hear somebody say like, it's a vibe, like it's a vibe, it's a vibe. That's not just like a, a catchy slogan. It's a vibe is short for it's a vibrational frequency, which is actually a form of joy, which is actually a scientific principle, which is actually Come rooted on. in energy, which is actually a form of way of being. And anytime I could like be in spaces where my vibrational frequency is elevated, that brings me joy. So this right here is bringing me joy. Like I feel the oh, vibrational man. energy and frequency, even though we're not in person, I can feel it. I feel the energy yeah, from you and it is being given to me and I, I, I'm absorbing and, 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 and allowing that energy to be embedded and to be a part of my being. And then what I do is I then give that vibrational frequency and energy to others and that brings me joy. Anytime we can share and the exchange of joy and vibrational frequencies and channel that energy from one person to another because it is neither created nor destroyed. It is just transferred. So if I could transfer that energy and absorb that energy, that brings me the utmost joy in my life. Man, man, you, you just speaking it right now. You're speaking it. But man, justice, justice, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. And I will say this is going to go down as a top five episode for me personally. I'm just going to say it right here. Like real talk, man. Just the energy that you brought to this and, and just the knowledge that you poured into the audience and also myself. I mean, it just cannot be quantified, brother. It cannot be quantified. So I appreciate you for coming to this space. Fam, the, the feeling is mutual and reciprocal. Um, I, I, I feel this energy in this conversation and I will always hold that in my being and spirit and always uh, appreciate you and your energy and spirit in this world and be in co-collective community with you. So it's mutual, fam. It's mutual. Yes. And before you leave, fam, I want you to go ahead and just share those social media handles, even share the, the website for Project Happivism so they can go ahead and cop that book which I'm going to do myself because I need my copy. You know what I mean? So let, let the people know where they can find you, brother. No doubt, family. I appreciate that fully. Um, if you're on social media, uh, handle is social underscore justice, J-U-S-T-I-S. We can connect on uh, Instagram, et cetera. Um, if you want to get connected with, with Project Happy Vism, follow Project Happy Vism on the socials. Visit www.projecthappyvism.com if you want to get connected to that. Um, if you want to get connected to Movement with Just Experience, follow us on Instagram and socials, Just Experience, um, on all of our different platforms. Um, and we, we will stay, stay connected. Um, and, and we just deeply, deeply appreciate you all. Yes, sir. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Justice Lopez. And once again, brother, thank you so much. And we definitely going to connect very soon. Oh, no doubt. Before we take Grissom off, fam, let me get a quick screenshot and a smile. Let me get a, let me get a smile real oh, quick. Come on, man. Let's there do it. Go. Let's do it. Three, two, one. All right. Much love. Much love. Come on, man. All right, man. So we'll talk, man. All right. Peace. All right. Man, good people. This was just an incredible episode. I mean, if you didn't feel the energy through this episode, I don't know what to tell you. But we got so many incredible episodes coming up in the coming weeks. And I'm just so excited to be able to release it to you all when that time comes. But 
until then, good people, I want to wish you all a good morning, good night, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Peace out, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Identity Talk for Educators Live podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram with the handle at Identity Talk for Educators Live. And that's a numeral four in the middle. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other streaming platforms. We're always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard tonight, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at www.identitytalkforeducators.com. Thank you and have a great day.